Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full time. I am the founder of Rapid, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. Hello and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry, and I have some fantastic guests here today with me. I have Jeff Zamore and Greg Russell from um, a media company called Good Morning Soldier, and we're going to learn more about that as well. But I'm really excited to have you both on. Welcome. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us, Emily. Absolutely. Okay, so we got to get into that first. Who wants to talk about the name of your company and where that came from? Ooh, got to be the owner. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, GMS Media, when looking for a name, that really spoke to me slash us because uh, a couple of reasons. One, Gandhi famously said, I consider myself a soldier for peace. And I just really love that idea of, of fighting to bring change and being peaceful. And also being in advertising and media for so many years, people don't often ask what the acronym means. So it was going to work out well for me. No one really, there's so many people that don't know what IBM actually means. So GMS media, oftentimes people don't ask what the GMS stands for, but, yeah. but you know, knowing that the backbone of it is this quote from Gandhi, I think is a really good underpinning for the company. And beyond that, which is the main reason. Uh, I come from a military tradition. My father's in the military, my brother was. And it's a nice additional way to honor them because soldiers often don't get praised. They often get uh, vilified. And so that's a, just a nice subtle way to throw them some love. But the Gandhi quote was the primary reason behind calling it Good Morning Soldier. I love it. I love it. And our podcast from that just posted today, actually, um, we talked with my husband. <laughs> I put him on the spot, which was really fun. Um, and we talked about military experience and veterans um, and the intersection of race and uh, military and mental health. So oh, looking at that, con that, that intersection of an identity. So, well, thank you for that. I always look at the acronym and say, I wonder what that means. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this is awesome. Uh, why don't we turn it over to Greg and why don't you introduce yourself, tell, you, tell the audience about yourself as well as your identity. This is a podcast all about uh, equity and inclusion. And so we always like to know who's speaking and what, how they identify. And then we'll pass that on to um, Jeff next. Yes. So uh, I'm Greg Russell, Director of Business Development. Um, and one of the first that Jeff brought into his Good Morning Soldier cult business, whatever you want to say. <laughs> now he's it's a, a cult. He's a gravitas about him. So <laughs> now it's a cult. <laughs> I love <laughs> he's it. He's a gravitas, the gravitas, you know. Um, he and him 
and um, gosh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a long story. So I'll wait for you to ask that question, but um, you know, Jeff is very focused on getting people a chance. Uh, you know, it was my dream to be part of this. I've had my fair share of terrible jobs, like checking insurance in a 200 year old building in downtown San Francisco. So Ooh. it was terrible during the winter. It was terrible during the summer. And, uh, you know, I was going home in 101 degree heat in BART. And I was just like, I, I, I don't know if I want to do this. And so I looked at going back into school for my master's degree. And there was a school up here called Concordia Portland. And they said, you know, you can come up and give it a shot if you want to pack everything up and get here in a week. So I came up and oh realized rent was, yeah, rent was a lot cheaper up here than California, but they still wanted that rent check and I didn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I woke up on a Saturday and I spent the entire day emailing production companies. I said, you know, this is kind of a new state, new chapter of my life. And if there ever was a chance to pursue that dream, now's the best. So wow. I thought, what would get a director's attention the most? So the subject line of my email was chasing a dream. And mm. ironically enough, that was the first thing he mentioned in our first interview. So I think I was born for this. Wow. <laughs> and, um, you know, I did the three month internship and boy, did he put me through the ringer. Um, you know, kind of how GMS works is you come in, just sits you down and uh, he kind of grills you about what your dream is. And grilling is an accurate but kind of <laughs> wrong word at the same no, time. It's quite cool. Because he has to peel, he has to peel the layers out because we're so conditioned to be guarded about what we really want for fear of judgment mm-hmm. that you almost have to go through that fire to say, fine, you want to hear it? This is what I want to do. And then Jeff goes, All right, now we can get started. And so he kind of just puts water wings, but he does throw you in the deep end <laughs> and he gives you the tools you need to survive. And, uh, you know, I have been asked not to come back and then I've been asked to come back and, uh, laughs and, you know, business highs and lows. And, uh, you know, we've maintained a family structure, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of companies say, oh, we're a family, but, uh, you know, when someone's having difficulty, you can tell the whole office feels with them. And, you know, that family feeling is why we go to nonprofits such as rapid. Mm-hmm. where I call it mouthwash for the soul. You know, of course, you know, the, the corporate training videos, the advertising, they do pay the bills, but people need to be aware of organizations that can actually help. And so Jeff has made it a big Agreed. priority for us to do that as well. I love it. I love it. Okay, Jeff, now your turn. You got to, I don't think I can top around? that. I don't think I can top that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty good rap. Uh, yeah, so you know, my elevator pitch is pretty simple. This is the only thing I've ever wanted to do. Uh, mm. I went from the University of Miami studying creative writing and philosophy, got to Los Angeles, California in 2001, and I just jumped into the industry. I was an assistant wow. on anything and everything. So 21 years old, just whatever I could get on to get my production wings underneath me, I would do. So I was the hamburger spit bucket boy on Carl's Jr. commercials. I had oh, to go wow. find Steven Seagal's tie for a movie. And <laughs> the cool thing about the industry is if you are good at work on any random day, someone will see it and invite you to the next day. 
And that's really what you do is you kill it on set and you don't say no to anything. And that gets you to the next show and then the next show. So I've been fortunate enough to work on some pretty big shows. I was on a lot of big budget action movies. I did Seabiscuit, Spider-Man 2, The Aviator, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Bernie Mac. And I went from that big budget uh, production world into advertising. So I made my own film at a certain point in my career in the industry. I realized I have to do my own thing. I want to start telling my own stories. So I took too much of my family's money and I made an independent (laughs) film. The film never sold, but one of the investors, yeah, one of the investors in the film ran an ad agency and this was at the infancy of video on the web. And I started making video content for this really awesome advertising agency in LA. And that kind of started me on the commercial ad space. Did that for a good long while in Los Angeles. Then I eventually said, you know what? Let's move to Portland. Moved to Portland, rebooted my life and just trying to rebuild what I had in Los Angeles here. And I think Portland is kind of ripe for that experience right now. Absolutely. And how long has GMS been in existence? Uh, Well, in Portland, 11 years. So I got here December, 2010. So been doing it since December, 2010. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. And your identity, just so we can speak to oh, that as well. Thank you. Uh, identity, African-American, he, him, or hey, you guy. Hey, you that guy. That also works for me. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you both for sharing that. And it's exciting, um, you know, how you all just kind of fell into this. And so, Greg, we're going to go back to that with you. You know, you didn't mention too much about why you decided this, but why did you just jump into it? And then, um, you know, what keeps you here every day with the work you do? Mm, that's a good question. Um, as Jeff will tell you, I'm kind of a ham for the camera. I always <laughs> no. <laughs> Secrets I always out. manage to find my way. You know, sometimes, sometimes we'll be talking with a client and, you know, I'll flock and be like, hey, you know, there's a voiceover office here I think, right and he goes oh I wonder who's going to audition so uh you know it was kind of a cool way to figure that kind of dream out you know who, who doesn't want to be on the big screen and live in a giant mansion but uh, you know as you get older those those kid dreams kind of morph with reality and you realize you know that's not really the answer you know mm-hmm. that, that's not necessarily happiness you know you can rent it but you can't own it and owning happiness in my opinion is being satisfied with the hard work you can do, the systems you put in place to achieve goals, not necessarily being happy when those goals arrive, because those goals never come in the, the bow that you ordered for the mm. present, right? For sure. And, you know, if you're prideful um, and take a lot of honor in your organization, you know, you're going to get, you're going to win the game. You know, if you focus on uh, being a sports person yourself, if you focus on the system of fundamentals, that score is going to beat the other team no matter what. But if you mm-hmm. stare at the scoreboard, the, the points aren't going to change. So I think that's kind of what brings me to the office is, uh, you know, we are a young, hungry agency. And it's my first opportunity to actually implement things, mm-hmm. figure out how to change workflows. And Jeff values everyone's opinion to the fact where, you know, you don't need to say, oh, you know, we'll bring it up to the next meeting with management. You know, he will sit down and listen. And, you know, a lot of the things we have done have been changed because of the boots on the ground, so to speak, bird's eye uh, uh, level of view. 
So I think that's what keeps me coming back is control over my work and uh, ears for my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've got to throw something else in there for you, Jeff. Um, (laughs) Where did you, who were your mentors in this? I mean, the way Greg speaks about how you run your business and really looking at your interview process and looking at, you know, just hearing from, from that, this lens, where did you learn this stuff? Where, who was your mentor? Where did you, you know, figure out how you wanted to run this business? Yeah. So when I started in Los Angeles, I bounced around from production to production and I eventually found a company called RF film. They were doing wireless camera work in the industry and it was a newer company. And the owner was a kind of a technical industry, almost legend. His name is Greg Noodles Johnson. And he's just been in the industry. And they nicknamed him Noodles because I think on like the Nagano Olympics in the 80s, he just kept tinkering with equipment to get it right. And someone said, stop noodling. And then that Uh. became his name (laughs) for decades. And actually in the credit to films, you can look in certain credits and it'll mm-hmm. say Greg Noodles Johnson. In the oh, credits. no way. Oh, that's And funny. he was my first industry mentor. And I'm grateful for everything that he taught me. He was very old school Hollywood, very mm-hmm. tough. And he's the kind of person that just said five minutes early is 10 minutes late mm-hmm. and doesn't kind of give you a story after that. It's just assumed you understand what that means. <laughs> and my first day on the job with him, I didn't know anything from anything. And he said, go to the special effects trailer and get me a tap and die kit. One, I didn't know how to find a special effects trailer. Two, I don't know what a tap and die kit is. And so, you know, afraid to get fired, I go out there and I try my best and I don't find it. And I come back to him and I go, oh, you know, I couldn't find a tap and die kit. And he just looks at me and he says, go find it. And Mm. That's just a thing where you have to go, okay, like there's no hand-holding, there's no coddling. That's his opportunity to say and see, is this kid going to step up? And mm-hmm. then I found the special effects trailer. I found a tap and die kit. I learned what one was and I came back. And what that turned into after years of working with him is being able to do things on the fly. So being able to take apart a camera on set figure out what the problem is with a cool head, fix it and not try to be the hero, you know, just do it to do it, to serve the story. Mm. So that first mentor, Greg Noodles Johnson, he taught me how to run a set, how to take care of my crew. And a lot of what I do today comes from him. And I think on the advertising side of things, there's a gentleman named Taj Tedro. His company at the time was Ted Perez. And he lived and breathed and ate advertising. Every morning I would see him just kind of ingest content. He would just look at what rappers were doing, look at what pop stars were doing, look at what was happening in the news. And he could take all that information, synthesize it. And then in a pitch meeting later on, he's going to give a client a pitch on something that's topical. It's relevant. And it's like just in line with what that person's brand is going to be. And I always saw him at the morning just in, ingesting content and you know not an internet junkie it was like he was doing research every morning to see what the where the pulse was wow. so that was really unique to see that level of care in something as quote-unquote trivial as an ad but it mm-hmm. does come with care 
Absolutely. Hello everyone. I am so excited to introduce to all of you Tim Salen, the sponsor of our podcast today. And Tim is with Remax Equity Group and man, he's different than all the thousands of agents you probably already know. When you're looking to buy or sell a home and you want somebody who cares, you want somebody who is patient, you want somebody who gives great advice, and you want somebody who is going to get you what you need, you need to call Tim. Tim Salen, Remax Equity Group. Check out the show notes for his details. Now back to the show. Well, and I loved what you said earlier around, you know, doing whatever somebody's asking and learning to work hard. I think that's something that, you know, this coming generation, <laughs> I think is more than lacking. And maybe every old folks say, all old folks say that about the youngsters. They're never going to amount to anything, but True. it's just I've interesting. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Just the, the, I don't care who you are, what master's degrees you have, what specialties you have, go scrub the floor or whatever. And when somebody sees you work hard, no matter what it is, and you, you do work and you do your best work all the time, I, you know, there's something, there's something about that that is lacking um, right now. I think in, in all people, uh, you know, our egos and our pride are getting Mm in, in our, in our way at times. And it's just checking yourself and being like, you know what, I am not too good to be doing this. And if I am, then I got to get back and do it because that's, that's how, that's how the foundation of everything is built. And I like what you're saying, because the thing that I love the most about filming and media is, you know, serving the story. So we are fortunate to get to be paid to show up at a location and tell your company's story. Mm -hmm. So our job really is, if you imagine the camera is a net, we're just catching the story that's in the air. And sometimes that means someone has to go get a candy bar because the client is diabetic. Or that means, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. it means, sometimes I'm not working as a director and I'm not being able to get the right performance out of someone and figuring out maybe I need to step back and let Greg Russell or somebody else ask the questions because the story's not being told properly. You have to remove yourself from the situation sometimes. It's not about me. It's not about me posting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a video on the internet about how cool I am on set. It's about telling another person's story for an hour and a half out of the day and making sure you honor that experience. And so it isn't about me being cool. It's about someone else's Absolutely. story. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you said you've always known you wanted to do this. Do you remember where that came from? Where that, that uh, this is what I always wanted to do? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's pretty easy for me is my father and me and my little brother used to get VHSs from the video store. So we would be on base wherever we were living and there'd often be like a video store and you'd go there and he would let us pick out three or four VHSs to rent and probably not like he kind of didn't care what we got. Maybe he shouldn't have let us have like the R-rated <laughs> movies or the PG-13, but he was a movie buff. So he's like, just get however many you want. I think I watched Rambo way too young and have seen it probably more than anyone. But I love that movie. So that's where it started is just watching his love of film, but uh-huh. also just being able to take those movies off the shelf, see all of the different stories that could be told action comedy romance and kind of go oh this is this is kind of cool like you can tell 
these tales so many different ways and honor these little characters. So I always remember going to those video stores back in the day. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, the good old, I don't know, the, the Bend Blockbuster uh, finally closed up. It was the last one of the nation. I think, yeah, there was like one last, blo- it was in Bend, right? Yeah, yeah, Bend. But I don't know, I thought I heard rumors of it closing, but last time we looked, it was there. We were like, Yeah, there was, holy. I did see that article. It's like the last Blockbuster. That's weird to think about. That was my Fridays after school. My sister oh, yeah. and I would be taken by my mom to Blockbuster and then we'd be like, oh, the movie we wanted is still checked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Or somebody didn't rewind it or, you know, yeah. the problems. Oh, man. Oh, oh man. Funny. The good old days, the good old days. Um, <laughs> okay, so back to you, Greg. So what, when you, let, let's say at GMS, um, what has been the most impactful project or the most um, impactful story that has come out of the work you all have done over there? Ooh, man, that's a good one. Um, I would say one of our nonprofits, the Rose Haven Women's Shelter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a safe place for women and children or families in general to escape an abusive household. Okay. And uh, abusive households, you know, a lot of people have that conception of just walk away. Absolutely, but, uh, yeah. you know, you can't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they find you. Uh, sometimes, you know, they've manipulated you to cutting off all of your friends and support groups over a period of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a really judgment-free, welcoming place. And having mostly women in my family, uh, you know, luckily there hasn't been any cases of physical, but I have seen cases where men or, you know, other influences have been taken advantage of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're a small outfit, but their heart is 10 times bigger than, you know, their, their physical size. And whenever they reach out to us for a video, you know, we don't even, we don't even talk price. I think that's like what, what they want to give us when they leave. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just these women come in with pictures of their kids or they come in with their kids and they tell their story. It's mm-hmm. you know, not to be the cliche, but we have, you know, the Kleenex boxes right off camera just in case. Heck yeah. And, yeah. And it's, um, you know, sometimes you're so tunnel focused on work that you are kind of aware, you know, horse blinders to society. You know, you drive down the street and you look and you see a homeless camp and you're like, oh, what's this? Like, why can't this just change? And mm-hmm. the reason why it doesn't change is because everybody's got that tunnel vision and has that right off as soon as they look at it. And being able to tell the story, like Jeff said, uh, you know, not only do we tell the story, but we have to make it in a way where it catches eyes, likes mm-hmm. on Instagram, shares on Facebook. And what that does, it actually creates awareness. So, you know, you sit there and driving to work, you see, you know, kind of a homeless camp. Uh, and then instead of sitting there and being like, oh, you know, their fault, their drain on society, you go, actually, I saw something really interesting online. Um, that reminds me, maybe I should check out this website. Maybe Mm -hmm. I should volunteer my time. Maybe I should find fulfillment in my life through charity. And I feel like with technology, we're so distracted with ourselves, either intentionally or unintentionally, that we forgot that fulfillment comes from helping other people. So that's what I've, that's what I've really fallen in love with with this job. Mm, I love it. I love it. And yeah, I worked um, at the county for five years and probably about two, two and a half of those years I was working in the domestic violence unit. Um, And so learning so much about 
just leaving. You don't just mm-hmm. get to leave. They have control exactly. finances. They have, you know, controlled in so many different ways. It's so, it was so fascinating and so scary and horrible mm-hmm. just to, to hear the, the experiences and this, the fear around that domestic violence community. So definitely you got my heart on that one. Uh, what about you, Jeff? And, and you can you, definitely in all your work, what has been the most impactful story experience that you've had that really Ooh. just was exciting you, and that just. You, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. But <laughs> one of the bigger projects was we were fortunate enough to do a private documentary for a client. And what happened there was, a client in Los Angeles wanted to give a friend and business associate the gift of a documentary. Mm. And they reached out to our outfit and they said, can you guys do a documentary on this man's life without him finding out that you're doing it? And then (laughs) we kind of said like, we wanted him, we wanted our client to understand the scope. We're like, this is expensive and it's going to take a year and a half. And he's like, let's do it. (laughs) And I said, okay. So we flew Toronto, Vancouver, San Francisco, LA, getting interviews to tell the life story of this guy who is also a philanthropist. And the respect and honor that you have to have to, you know, this guy doesn't know that we're doing this. And to talk to his kids, to talk to his business associates and to learn what makes him such a great guy And to talk to his mother and hear her say, I always knew he was going to make a big difference. I'm not going to say the name of the client, but it's an individual who it's an individual (laughs) who for his 50th birthday, rather than getting himself anything, he booked a private island for a week and invited, I think, 30 of his closest friends and family members to the island, bought them all tickets, said, stop what you're doing, come to the island, because he just wanted everyone to be together. And our client, feeling really strongly about what this guy did on his 50th birthday, as a return, said, I'm going to make you a documentary. And the thing that really strikes me, one particular interview is, we get to Vancouver, BC, and one of his business associates we interviewed him. You can tell he was nervous. He, was, uh, he had definitely had a couple of Canadian beers. I think he was having Molson's and he had a couple of Molson's just to get himself ready Oh my gosh. for the interview. And just a rough and tumble guy, general contractor. The light was coming through the Venetian blinds perfectly. Mm. And he starts to tell a story about how the subject of our documentary found out that his granddaughter was being born with a heart defect in the middle of a snowstorm. Oh my gosh. So commissioned a private plane to go get the little girl in a snowstorm and take her to a children's hospital for an immediate surgery. Oh my gosh. And that's a thing. And then the guy starts crying. And so whoever you are, whatever you do, if you're thinking to yourself, I'm sitting in this guy's office and he's crying about something that someone did for his granddaughter eight years ago. Mm. It's just an impactful moment. And, you know, all I, all we did right was shut up and let him tell the story. That's all (laughs) all we did right was shut up. Mm -hmm. So that one, that documentary, it stays with me. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's the great thing about, you know, technology. I think back to even when all of us were kids, you know, there's glips, you know, blippets here and there on those big old VCR or those big old recording thingies, like cameras that were huge. I mean, they're giant. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a few here and there, but then I see like us and my kids and how we get these memories pop up on Facebook or whatever it is. And it's just like, man, the the opportunity we have to capture these memories um, is phenomenal and tell stories in a way that people will listen and understand and and remember them like this documentary. You'll remember that forever. You'll never forget that moment. And that's just incredibly powerful for sure. Okay, this is a, a little bit harder one. Um, so I'll let either one of you go first. Um, <laughs> so how do you see your identity and and or, you know, the injustices in your work? And so either your identity or the identities of others in social injustices. So as we, as you know, the podcast, we talk about equity in all aspects of equity. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of ways we could talk about this, whether that's, you know, seeing people in, in minority communities or disadvantaged communities or however you want to label it um, in film, you know, people representing their true identity versus, you know, we, we hear this a lot in the disability community, how, you know, able-bodied folks are taking um, disability roles and mm-hmm. there are plenty of disability um identifying folks out there who want to be in film and advertising and they just aren't given the opportunity. Um, and so how do you see your identity or social injustices in the work you do? And this could be either one of you. Ooh, ooh, I guess <laughs> I'll start. And that is, that is as media a question as you're going to ask. That is, uh, <laughs> that is a big one. Uh-huh. So, so I would say it's been very interesting to see the change in the last 21 years of my career. Hmm. I did work early on where a client said that the website needed to be blacker. A client, a big name Hmm. said the website isn't black enough. And there was another instance where a portion of my skin was being used in an ad for a snack food that we all know and love. And there was a discussion for a couple of seconds of, do we ask the client if we show the dark skin of the, of the person in this? And, you know, you just, just think about that moment, right? Like the moment is a moment (laughs) where people are going, Hey, should we ask this question? Should we ask if this is okay? And then I got to see the pivot to where clients had to start pushing for equality uh-huh. and they didn't know how to ask for it. So they were like, we'd <laughs> like a more diverse <laughs> uh, <laughs> And it's almost because now they're being forced yeah. to, they, they, they know that they've been way behind and they, they, they're embarrassed to say, can we have something other than an all white experience? <laughs> and, yeah, and now here we are where it's really great for me to see, you will see a Middle Eastern man and a black woman as a couple in an ad and the younger generation, their eyes don't even blink. Mm-hmm. Me as an advertiser, I look at that and I go, oh, wow. Like I can see that there are a lot of brands that are working hard to kind of get past a lot of those old stigmas, mm-hmm. but 
there is still so much work that needs to be done, like you're saying, because, you know, the disabled community is a great example. There are people that right now, let's be honest, they want to check off the box and say, mm-hmm. I put a disability, I put a disabled individual in my ad. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not the right way to move that agenda forward, in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah. It needs to be looking at that disabled individual as just another actor who could kill this role exactly. and who happens to be this kind of a person. It exactly. doesn't, yeah. we don't need to have that person in the ad because of that. So it is very, it's a sensitive place right now. You know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a black man in advertising, there's not a lot of black men in advertising. So mm-hmm. I've always been conscious of that, but now it's not even about being a black man in advertising. I will tell you, you know, everyone has to be so careful now. <laughs> I, I wish, I wish that we didn't have to be so careful, but maybe, maybe this short blip of being careful is going to get us to a place where, where we can just be a little bit more honest with each other and say, mm-hmm. okay, let's, let's sell this candy bar the best way possible. And if selling the best way possible means one person who is disabled, one person who is an Eskimo and two people who are trans, then that's what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. I would like to get to that place. I'm not sure what it's going to take to get there. Yeah. And it's mm. interesting, you know, the authenticity of it all, you know, like you're saying, there's those companies who are checkboxing and that's for all aspects of diversity, equity, inclusion. You know, we have to put on this training so that we are now doing diversity, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so yeah, it's yeah. this like checkbox process. And so then the authenticity of it is it, when do we get to that place where it feels normal quote unquote it feels natural it feels like there are humans in the room because there are humans in the room there you go that's a good way to say it there are humans in the room (laughs) that's a great exactly what about you greg i was just about to say which is why i fell in love with your name human is my label for the podcast (laughs) that's that was was really good um for me man this is going to be a harder question because my experiences have been completely different uh just because you know um the white male thing and, you know, just two, maybe three years in the industry. But um, the one thing I have found from my perspective that I didn't really have a word for until one of our associate creative directors kind of mentioned it. Uh, and it's white savior. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, you know, you call it white guilt, whatever, uh, you know, recently a lot of groups of white people have been very vocal in representation and the oppression in minorities or differently able people uh-huh. to the point where they take the main stage <laughs> yeah. and act like they need to speak for them. <laughs> yep. Almost, almost yep. as if like, we get it, sit down, you know, they'll listen to us so we need to speak for you. And I feel that that muddies the, the message, the progress and the agenda. You know, like I said, I'm not going to pretend to know what Jeff's experience is like. It, it's going to be physically impossible. Yeah. But it is my job to make sure he's heard and supported. Uh, that does not mean, you know, I take the stage. There are many things that I, you know, a lot of these, you know, white savior people say this is the message and miss it. Mm-hmm. And people who live through it and see are saying, no, this is the message. So I wouldn't say direct social injustice based on mine. But I would say misrepresentation mm, out of a, a, a good intention is, is where yeah. I see the injustice is misrepresentation. Absolutely. Like that. yeah. No, that's perfect. And that is, and it's the hard part as white people is we are 
trying to do something. We are trying to take action on something. And a lot of people are like, well, I screwed up no matter what. Okay, well, that doesn't mean we stop trying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, so exactly. next time you get you get in the door with, for, with somebody, for somebody, uh, for an identity, and then you allow them the opportunity to speak. So you didn't screw it up completely. Exactly. But (laughs) let's let's revamp it. Let's try again. Let's let's try over. And so I think this white savior is something that we all struggle with as white people, as I want to do something. But then you you get motivated and you get energized and you try to do so much. And then you're like, oh, man, I just got motivated, energized. And now, again, I'm the center of the attention. And that wasn't my Mm -hmm. intention. But I was really trying. (laughs) And and, you know, it's it's funny. I can tell you I am an advocate. Uh, for the white male voice. <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know, if there is someone who is a white male who is trying to move a BIPOC diversity inclusion agenda, if there is a white male who cares to try to make a difference, that person should not be vilified. I mean, think about it. We've spent our entire time as an American civilization where the white man was held at a very high level. And now that that's not the case, and there's an opportunity for change, why in the hell would you start to knock someone who may be able to join you under the tent? Uh-huh. If a white man wants to help carry a banner for change, that's crazy to not want that person. If you exactly. don't, if you make an enemy out of that individual, we know the direction <laughs> they're going to go in. Exactly. Why would you want that? So, Good point. So yeah. I think that you know, more people under the tent is better. And look, I need to learn too. I have a great little story. When I started in the industry, you know, sexuality and how you talk to people on set, it wasn't, for better or worse, as sensitive as it is now. Mm -hmm. You used to just say, hey, bring me the hot blonde and the beefcake. Get them over here now. You don't do that anymore. And I had to unlearn a bunch of things because I started in the industry where I was like, hey, beefcake, fly that beefcake in, fly the blonde in. But there is a reprogramming and I'm learning and I mess up all the time. Mm-hmm. I am definitely, I don't know exactly what to do with the pronouns. I am uncomfortable sometimes with telling a differently abled or a transgender individual exactly how I relate to them. But if someone wants to help me, I'm willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anything- just still. Jeff oh, calls me beefcake every now and then. So. <laughs> yes. Of course, of course. Um, well, and that's that points to a really, really big thing around for all of our audience, you know, the, the oppression Olympics of diversity and equity. You know, mm-hmm. you are a black man who doesn't know everything. I am a white woman who doesn't know everything, who has a disability. Like none of us know everything just because we have live in the minority identities. Yep. You know, we, mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. what it's like to be a black man. I'm never going to. I can relate to experiences that we both experience discrimination. Yes, I can relate to that, but it's different. And it's so powerful to realize that we all, regardless, all of us have privilege. And yep. mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, race privilege, age privilege, gender privilege, we all have privilege of some type. And I think a lot of people, especially white people, have gotten so stuck on hearing white privilege. And people have been so easy to throw that term out. You have white privilege. You have white privilege. Well, we all have privilege. And until we can all recognize mm-hmm. what that privilege is, we aren't going to be able to help each other. 
Yeah, and you know, it's it, yeah. I have a funny perspective because as being someone who is a marginalized population, my ear immediately can go up when I can see someone being when have their rights infringed upon. And I was on a meeting, I was on a Zoom call, and there was a I had one of my associates who was a white male in the call, and a businesswoman goes, I don't want to give any more work to white men. I'm just done doing it. Now, that's okay for her to think that, but I'm going to ask you a question. Was that nice for my <laughs> white colleague to hear that? Was it, does he feel, how does he get to feel now? Because he didn't do anything other than me, a white man on the call. And mm-hmm. as a person who is black, who has had that thrown at him his entire career, I'm not going to ask this white man to walk through that mud. I'm actually going to say, hey, uh, that lady, she could have thought that, but she could have definitely transmitted that information in a little bit of a nicer package. And I think that's how we get somewhere better rather than making Greg walk through 10 years of mud that I had to walk through. I don't think that's going to help him. Yeah, it's not that whole um, hurt people, hurt people. And that that, that phrase really sticks with me. Mm -hmm. Hurt people, hurt Mm -hmm. people. And it's like, yes, and that's not going to get us anywhere. It's going to further polarize everyone. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like what you were saying earlier, Emily, where we're so focused on trying to find the answer. Uh, it leads us into a different direction. You know, you have a lot of these movements that could arguably be counterproductive. And, you know, it's not until you sit there and say, I have no idea what your perspective is. Um, let's talk about it. Exactly. <clears throat> that's, that's how you get the right voices saying the right thing. You know, mm-hmm. just kind of reiterating, you know, there's a lot of people who say, you know, I've read enough about you. I've seen enough about you. I'm woke. I'm knowledgeable. I'm progressive. So I know exactly <laughs> what you need. No, you yeah, don't. Because, exactly. you know, whether you can walk to work or whether, you know, you don't have to worry about walking into a parking lot at night. You'll, you'll never know. You'll never exactly. know. Exactly. And then for, and, you know, to wrap the whole thing around into a nice bow in terms of us being storytellers and let's just talk about the disabled community. I don't know enough. And mm-hmm. if I'm going to do work in that space, I'm going to want an, a, a firmer education exactly, so that yeah. when someone says, hey, Jeff, you might have missed the mark, I want to be able to draw on learning to say, okay, this is how I need to, this is how I need to relate to this population a little bit better. This is how I need to learn to tell that story better. And I want to go on that adventure. Greg wants to go on that adventure. The people in our company want to know how to do better in these different spaces. Exactly, exactly. Okay, our big last question, which is an exciting one. Okay, so if you had your magic wand, and this could be in your industry, this could be, you know, in equity, if you, you know, however you want to take this question. If you had your magic wand today, what was one thing you would change? And the add-on to that is what do you do every day in baby steps to make that change? Either one. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. You, you take, the, take the lead on this one. <clears throat> a magic wand that would change the world. What would it be? Okay, you know what? I'm ready. I'll, like, I'll like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you're ready, this is a tough one. That's okay. You see, this is how you, you can tell we there's do so this. Much. You know, how there's like a pause. And so we're like, you know what? I'm going to fill the pause. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how, many, how many wands can I have? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so with my one wand, I've often thought about this. It's I want to give everyone, whether it be through my work or through conversation, the ability to understand their enemy's perspective. Mm -hmm. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, that is where change comes from. I want 
to understand what makes a Trumper angry. And I think if I understand better and that person sees that I understand, maybe we can have a conversation because we're not going to be able to kill each other. I mean, I know there are people that want to hurt each other, but by and large, we're going to have to figure out a way to help each other. We're going to have to find a way to live together. And as everyone is making all these documentaries and there's all these TikTok videos and Instagram's got a video every two seconds, Mm -hmm. I would love to see more content where you get to understand someone else's grievance, but then something inside with that magic wand, it makes you have to take that in. It Mm. makes you take that experience in to go, huh, I didn't see it that way. Mm -hmm. I didn't see that was a blind spot for me. And obviously some people, their opinions are going to be totally wrong and I'm never going to want to agree with them, but I, it's important to just hear that person. And I think in that moment, it cut, it brings us a little bit closer to unity and it's going to take forever and we may never get there, but I think it's one of the things we can do to get there. And what do I do to get there? Not enough, (laughs) not enough. Uh, I don't, I, I don't have that wand. I make short format commercials. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I think one of the things, if I look at the catalog of the work that I've done is, you know, trying to be mindful of the times and trying to make work that is as inclusive as possible. You know, our clients often say like, Hey, like you really got it with that. And I think a way for a client to say, when they say you really got it, I'm thinking they're like, okay, you were socially relevant, you were socially conscious, you understand our business, and you moved us in a positive direction. I think when clients, you know, we had one job. Okay, so here, I think I found out how I did it once. Okay. <laughs> a client who wanted to focus on one particular race, they wanted a different experience for the African-American community and a different experience for the Latinx community. Okay. We were able to say, we can tell this story without parsing out the experience from Latinx and African-American. Yes, both populations have different experiences, but when it comes to this particular story, there's a couple of things that we can do to unify. Mm. And so, yeah, that's where, that was a moment where I said, we don't have to make two completely different experiences. And it worked out. That's Ooh. awesome. Yeah. Thank you, That's really cool. All right, Top Greg. Back, Here we go. Your <laughs> turn. <laughs> All right. Um, have I told you what GMS means? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this might be sacrilege to, to what we do, but if I could wave a magic wand, I would put a cap <clears throat> on social media viewership. Mm. Oh, I love that. Mm. I, I believe, you know, so mankind is not meant to be exposed to such information, to such uh, body imagery. Um, and, you know, once you know, the, the whole, the whole joke is, you know, your life isn't worse than other people's. It's just, you're seeing their highlight reel mm-hmm. and comparing their highlight reel to your blooper reel. And what that does is it breeds uh, discontent in yourself, your work ethic, and your place in life. And the one thing that we've seen common in sociology and history is that when you feel disappointed in your life, it's hard for you to take a step back and blame yourself. 
you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, P. Diddy said something during the, the, uh, the, uh, the quarantine where he said, if you didn't find another way to make money or make something happen, massive success isn't in your blood. And a lot of people vilified him for that. But I have a lot of friends who picked up uh, Postmates, who cut lawns, who did anything they could. And so it's very hard to take a step back and say, yes, I can control this in, in my way. You essentially have to kind of blame yourself. Now, you know, I'm not being like perfect, you know, oh, I'm not perfect. I'm blaming myself. But when you don't hold yourself accountable, you start mm-hmm. assigning your quote unquote lot in life to others. Exactly. Yeah. And this is where manipulation can easily set in. Your government can say, it's Afghanistan, it's China, it's Russia. Your family can say, it's the Hispanic community taking these. It's the, you know, the African-American community given the jobs because of a law. And that's where danger and breed hates, uh, sorry, uh-huh. uh, breathes and lives and permeates. Yeah. So I would say my wand is to just be happy of your own hard work and drive yourself forward just you know if if you feel like you're at the end of your rope work for an extra 15 minutes yeah and increase it to a half hour and increase it increase it then what you do is you start feeling prideful towards the end of your day so when you see a bs article saying you know 100 million (laughs) white jobs laid off because of this you go no i don't think so because you're not looking for that scapegoat yeah yeah taking that responsibility i like that Mm mm-hmm that one's good. And, um, what about you? What about you? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Your last uh, the baby step. The baby step implementation is trying not to clock out at five. No matter. How <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, you're telling the, the boss employer, that. I definitely like that. So, um, I love that. And so to flip it up. Whoa, well done, Greg. Way to put. Way to stick the landing. And so Emily uh, would love to ask. What about you? What's your magic wand? And you know, it would be. Similar to yours, Jeff, just allowing people to hear each other, um, to validate each other's experiences, to have discernment. So it's a little combination of both of yours, because that discernment, you know, regardless of the identities, and this is mostly speaking to equity and inclusion, regardless of the identities we hold, we all still have a mind and a brain and thoughts that should be valued. And when we look at, especially as a white woman who's done a lot of racial justice work and, and do it every day, cause I'll never, you know, stop the journey of learning mm-hmm. around, especially racial justice, you know, we're told something. And then a lot of times we're just told to accept it and swallow it no matter what, it goes against in our minds and our brains, but being able to really think about the information Mm. we're absorbing from social media, instead of being like, oh crap, I got to go buy the next new car because, or, you know, keeping up with the Joneses (laughs) type mentality. And it's like, yeah, no, I'm pretty happy in my life. And if I didn't see that car, I wouldn't have been, (laughs) you know, upset about (laughs) what they have and I don't. And so it's having that moment of discernment and that reality check to ourselves and taking responsibility for our actions. I think that's something we're definitely lacking in society and saying, yeah, I totally screwed up um, in, in racial in re- equity work in general. Like, oh, wow, I totally misstepped there. 
Yeah. I apologize instead of running away and hiding for the next 10 years, you know, so <laughs> we mm-hmm. have to be able to take responsibility and own up to it and then continue to learn. And I think people are so scared these days to fail, yep. get back up and then learn from it and understand it instead of running away from it in, in embarrassment or shame or, you know, uh, all the things that come along with what our society has deemed failure, you know. I like that magic wand. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. And and what do I do every day? I keep it real. (laughs) (laughs) I keep it real. That's, I mean, I I am who I am through and through. People know me. Yes, I, you know, don't cuss as much when I'm not supposed to. And, but other than that, you know, you get who you get with me. And that is great for me. And it kicks me in the butt sometimes in the sense of when I put myself out there and my true self out there and let, people take advantage of it, you know? And so that does get me in trouble sometimes, but I learn from it and I keep going and I'm not going to change who I am. So it hurts my feelings inside at times, but it is what it is. So you're always going to get me for who I am and and what I believe in. And, and there's going to be nothing else there. So, and I think my my husband wishes he could change that too. (laughs) No comment. Can't we just keep up with the Joneses a little bit? No. (laughs) I'm not going to say a word. (laughs) So, well, anything else? um, I will make sure and put your show notes, but where can people find you um, and how can they get to know you more? Oh, well, our website is gmsmediaco.com and we are on Instagram as GMS Media and Advertising. That's usually the best place to see who we are. And we have a bunch of our live stream work on Facebook, GMS Media Co. on Facebook. And there you can see some of our fun live music live streams. Um, and I think if you watch those live streams, you can really kind of understand who we are as people because we just love the work. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll put those, that all in the show notes. Anything else before we wrap up? Uh, you know, I you feel can... good. Greg, what do you have? You don't need money to give us a call. If you got a dream and a penny in your pocket, you got a spot at GMS. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Stick in the lander. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. All <laughs> right, like both, both of you. Thank you so much for your time today. And we will be in much more contact from here forward. So thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, Emily, thank, thank you, you Emily. so much. Thank this was you. great. It was seamless. And uh, you threw some some pretty tough questions. I was like, okay, was let, me definitely yeah, think. Yeah. let me go. Let me think about the answer to this one because <laughs> I don't want to say something dumb. So thank you for the thoughtful questions. Of course. Well, thank you guys, right. and we will be talking soon. All right. Have thank a great you day. So much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about RAPID, visit us at rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N.org. You can find me at emily.curry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and can't wait to see you next week.